Hello, HR professionals. Good news. This episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. Stay tuned to access your certification code. Today's episode is part two of this two-part episode filmed at the Atlanta Tech Village. Welcome to The Great Retention, a show spotlighting executive leaders who have built award-winning cultures where people feel empowered, seen, and recognized. Today, John Duesberg is joined by three great people leaders in the live audience at the Atlanta Tech Village. John sits down with Katie Cox Burnham, VP of People at SalesLoft, Jeff Perkins, former CEO of Park Mobile, and Donald Knight, Chief People Officer at Greenhouse Software. Katie, Jeff, and Donald chat with John about creating connections in their work environments and keeping inclusion top of mind, as well as answer questions from the live studio audience. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Over to you, John. Jeff, any, any, any story at Park Mobile about what went wrong? <laughs> Or maybe what went well, but when it comes to how did you make these, how did you create that connection? How did you keep inclusion top of mind in this remote environment? It's got to go up to the top. And so, you know, we were very intentional with our whole leadership team that we were making sure we were reaching out to our people. Um, because one of, the, one of the important things that we figured out, you know, during COVID with our teams was that, um, you know, like in any organization, you have um, you have people that index high on introvert and people index high on extrovert, right? And so, like during COVID, the introverts were like living best life, right? They're like <laughs> they're at home, they're in, and you know, at Park Mobile, we have a lot of software developers, so it's like during the day there was a lot of video game playing, and then at night they would do the work, and and we knew this was going on, right? So it, it, and and we were we were cool with that because. I mean, the year, like 2020, we had one of our most productive years ever as an organization. We launched more product releases. We won more deals. So like the team kind of like earned the right to work remotely. Like they did great work. They were very productive. But as a leadership group, we were thinking, are we doing our team a favor by just letting them work from home? Because you think about the value of being with people, being with your team, and the things you can learn from your peers that when you're actually together, especially if you're more introverted, like extroverts don't care. They'll go, you know, they'll come to the office. They're happy to be in the office. They go to happy hours. But the, the thing we worried about from, from an inclusion was, was the people that were more introverted, um, generally the software development team. That, that was the team that we were very concerned about because we were like, it's not healthy if we let these guys stay at home, stare at code all day. Like we have to drag them back into the office. And so with our development team, it was very controversial because they were so mad because they didn't want to come back into the office because they have the super comfy gaming chair at home um, and they don't have that at the office. So it was like, but we made them come back in the office. And I think, I think it was, you know, and some people said, not for me, I'm going to leave. And we, we were cool with that. But we, we felt it was an obligation to our people that we really said, hey, if you're going to be a part of this team, you got to be here with us for some of the time. And, and I, think, I think that really worked. And I think for the culture, it really paid off for the culture that we 
created a true hybrid. And we didn't just let everyone work from home. And we got people back in the office. And I do think for the people that were the more introverted, it, I think it did help them. And it's going to help them both at, at their career at Park Mobile. And it helps them after because they'll have better social skills. They'll have more. They'll, they'll kind of know what it's like to work in an office because you, you, know, you don't know at your next company if you're going to be hybrid or not. Yeah, I love the different perspectives, right? And, yeah. and and there's it's it's not that there's a right or wrong. It's you know you're navigating this inside of your team. Um, I love Donald what you said about making sure there's oxygen in the room, right? And and keeping that uh, top of mind. Um, so two more questions, and then we're going to open it up. So be thinking of your your questions, Casey. Um, so uh, I'm going to uh, start with you here, Katie. Um, so Sales Loft has, uh, to your point, Jeff, has grown from you know, a small crew here in the Atlanta Tech Village to a thousand people, London, Mexico, Singapore now. Um, so you've grown really fast. Um, and, you know, I know that the values, the culture is super important. And so what are, what are you doing to develop this next generation of leaders um, within Sales Loft so that they, 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 they understand how special those values, this culture, this entrepreneurial spirit is so that that doesn't, you don't lose that, right? As a founder, I, I want, I want, I don't want to lose that, right? So what are you doing to invest in this new generation of leaders? There's a couple things that we've done. As Jeff mentioned, when we were four people or 10 people and still in ATV, everyone had access and relationships and regular conversations with our, our two founders. And they were really the culture carriers. They were the drivers of organizational health, which was awesome. As we got bigger and we hired more and more people, it's natural that you lose some of that connection to your founders and even to your executive team. And that's something that we've been challenged with more recently is we've hired 400 people in the last year um, and grown so quickly. And we're remote, we're global. Um, it's hard to continue some of those relationships. So we've really prioritized um, two things. One is our onboarding program, and then two is our leadership development program. So when we think about orientation, it is completely virtual. Um, our, the spirit of our orientation is lightning in a bottle. How do we bring back that first day feeling when you were in person? How do we indoctrinate them into our culture and help them understand what are the priorities at Sales Loft? How do we work together? We talk about the values. We talk about why they're important. Um, they already know that coming in, it, just like Park Mobile, we have a core values interview baked into our interview process. So they see that, they know that when they come in and we reinforce it. The other thing we do um, is with our, our leaders, our frontline leaders to our executive team, every new manager, whether they're promoted internally or hired externally, um, first time managers to 20 plus years of experience go through the same program. Um, it is our leadership development program, six months. The first two days are in person, and it's where we talk about all of our um, leadership philosophies, all of the things our two co-founders set the company up with from the beginning. We talk about five dysfunctions of a team, radical candor, how to have hard conversations, how to have a one-on-one. -on -one. You'd be surprised at how many leaders don't know how to have a one-on-one, -on -one, how to run a team meeting. Here's how to lead the sales loft way and what we expect of our leaders. And then we reinforce those same principles over the next six months. Um, they meet once a month virtually. So it is that hybrid model. But we do bring them all into Atlanta, which I think continues to just set the, the importance of, hey, we're investing in you as our leaders. You are the front lines. You are the people that our, our employees spend 40 hours a week with. 
And so we've really prioritized that um, investment too. Love it, lightning in a bottle. Right. I heard, I heard a, a leader uh, share with me that they try to re-recruit their employees every day, right? Creating that, uh, that new first day experience. Um, uh, Donald, Jeff, any, any thoughts in terms of the leadership development, how you're continuing to make sure that your culture, your, your values are, are part of that? Yeah, um, I didn't realize the amount of similarities between sales loft and greenhouse. Uh, you mentioned five dysfunction of a team. You mentioned radical candor. Um, I think we have a very, we very much have a speak up culture at greenhouse. And so like we do um, ask me anythings, uh, which are AMAs where literally like our leaders, including our founders uh, are on the hot seat and we get questions that from the, the um, from the company. And we have found like that level of transparency allows us to maintain our values of being purposeful, belonging and entrepreneurship because many of the questions are rooted through those lenses. I think the other thing that we do, you mentioned radical candor, we do radical candor as well where um, my CEO who I report to will actually meet with my directs and then ask uh, some questions, anonymize the feedback provide it to me in a one-on-one, and then I have an action to make sure I deliver to them, this is what I heard, and this is what I'm gonna do. Um, and that level, I think of, I don't wanna use the word checks and balances, because it's probably not best to get political right now. Um, but ideally, I think it, it, what we found is like that level of connection and transparency is huge. I think the other thing, though, is like we create and nurture this culture where we can fail. So like one of the biggest things that we did this year was um, we announced uh, an enhancement to our sabbatical program where uh, historically, if you did seven years of service, you got seven weeks off. And what we found is like 85% of our organization was actually less than four years and 10 years. So similar to you hiring like hundreds of people over the last year. And so we were like, oh, we got to like change this. So we changed it to four years to four weeks of service. And like 85% of the organization got excited and 15% was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so what we found is like they provided feedback and then we went and enhanced it. So the folks that were more tenured were grandfathered and they got the same amount of weeks at a certain point in their career. But I think that level of like bias towards action based on their feedback, I think that gives them the nurturing that they need. So when we go to like look at things like development or um, maintaining the culture is pretty good. The other thing we did was he hired a VP of development who starts December 5th, uh, Will Leahy. So I'm excited about him and really doing uh, some of the work that you all are doing there are sales off around like what are the actual fundamental guardrails we're going to do around accelerating the growth of people. Love it. Jeff, any, any uh, thoughts or experiences? Yeah, Donald, you said two things there. You talked about candor and transparency. And, you know, it's interesting in my career, you know, every company I've been in, they do employee surveys. And I, I've always found like the number one thing employees complain about besides compensation is, um, I, I feel like I don't know what's going on. Like that, that seems to be like this constant theme, like I work for this company and I don't know what the department I sit next to is doing. I don't understand the business results. Um, and and I, I think that's kind of a drag on employee engagement overall, like like lack of transparency. And so, you know, one of the things we try to do is, is almost um, overwhelm our employees with transparency. Um, so we would have, uh, a weekly newsletter that would go out every week, just here highlights of things going around the company. We would do usually an every other week all hands meeting where we share results going on about the, around the company. Um, we have company news channels on Slack. Like 
Like there's no way, like I, I wanted to take that away as an excuse. Like, like there's no way you as an employee, like we send out our daily numbers to all the employees. Like, like you could see exactly the transaction volume, you know, uh, across the country with Park Mobile. So no excuse. And I, I, I actually think that really helped get people more engaged in the overall business. Um, because you see people who are in human resources or operations, you know, asking questions around like, oh, why was, why were the metrics in Philadelphia down last night, right? Um, you have people asking about, oh, you know, and in, in, in the technology team asking why, uh, how was the performance of a particular marketing campaign? And I think that's really healthy for organizations when you share more, and, and it's scary sometimes, like, like during COVID, um, our numbers were terrible, and, but we still shared them, right? Because uh, we wanted people to know what was going on. Um, but but I, think, I think that is like the most important thing that leadership has to promote is just an open environment, a transparent environment where you're sharing, uh, yes, you're sharing the wins, but you're also sharing challenges. And when people see that, they see that the organization is kind of being honest and upfront with them. Um, it creates more of an attachment and be like, okay, I trust these guys. Like, like they're telling me what's going on. And, and again, that's a great driver of overall employee engagement for a company. Yeah, love the story about having courage to share the, keep the transparency even when it's not the story you wanna, you wanna necessarily share. So, um, okay, final question. We're gonna open up to the audience here. So as we're, one of the things uh, on the great retention that we, we wanna do is we wanna make it practical. Meaning, is there a lesson learned, practical piece of advice that leaders in this audience can take away and implement in their team? Right. So um, so as you're thinking about next year, what's your number one priority when it comes to employee experience, employee engagement? Is there a practical piece of advice, lesson learned um, that you can share with the audience, both virtually as well as here in person? And Donald, I'll put you on the spot. Oh, wow. OK, this is good. Um, what I would say is that there are a number of universal languages out there. Music is a universal language. Food is a universal language. Uh, I'm partial to ice cream. I think ice cream is a, is a universal language. Um, one of the universal languages, though, I would leave you with is allyship. And when I say allyship, a lot of people are like, oh, I heard that term before, but like, Donald, like, what do you mean by it? And like, there's four stages of allyship, in my opinion. Uh, the first one is like inviting. And that's something all of you can do at your companies respect, uh, respectively. When's the last time you invited someone that you don't work with on a normal basis? But inviting is not enough. The second thing you have to do is support them. So when's the last time you supported somebody in your workplace? But support is not enough. After you invite or you support them, you have to engage them continuously. And like, when's the last time you engage someone continuously in the workplace? The last one I think is really big, which is champion. And when I say champion someone, I mean like, you have to like shepherd their success. Um, I have the honor to have one of my favorite heads of HR, my favorite head of HR that I reported to, actually in the crowd. His name is Gerald Hill. And there's no way I would have been where I am today had he not championed me. So like I would tell each of you, there's a responsibility that you have to champion folks. And you don't have to just champion folks that look like you. In fact, I would say the, beautiful, the most beautiful form of allyship is championing people who are actually different from you uh, or your perceived differences that you may have. So that would be my four practical things for you. Allyship, universal language, champion people. Love it, love it. Katie. Man, that's tough to follow. Um, 
the one thing that, that we're really focused on next year um, is intentionality. And I think as so many companies, I mean, just thinking about you know LinkedIn today, so many companies are doing um, more with less, less people, less resources. It's being intentional, intentional about the things that you choose to do and really executing them with excellence. So um, for us, um, the big things are connection, which we've talked about, and continuing our culture. Um, but I think transparency is just as important and one of the things that we're focused on, exactly like uh, Jeff mentioned, the, the transparency around our numbers are shared, our all-hands communications, just being intentional with the information that we share with our employees um, are, are two of the things that, that we're really focused on. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be very specific here in things that I, I think, I don't know if you guys do this, but um, you know, during COVID, we, we lost a fair amount of people from our company. They, they resigned, they went and got jobs, like you know, crazy pay increases. And you, know, you, never, you never lose the people you want to lose. You always lose like, the best people, right? That's, that's the thing that always sucks, is like the, your favorite people tend to leave because they're awesome. And then you know, when awesome people get opportunities. And um, I, I realized that we didn't like, have a real process for when people left the company, it was very kind of cookie cutter. You, you know, you submit a letter, you go to your exit interview, and you're you're off. And so, for people that were like top performers who were leaving the company, um, I personally made it a point to reach out to them and talk to them, not to try to save them because they they had already decided they were going to leave. But one to kind of understand really like you know what's going on here? Why did you leave? Is there anything we could have done differently? Um, and there's a big difference when like the CEO does that sometimes, and, and not to say that you guys should do that too, but like when the CEO does that, they're like, oh, this, I can't believe it. This, so, um, and I told them in, in my conversation that, listen, I'm sure it's an awesome opportunity for you, and I'm sure you're gonna do great, um, but if it's not what you expect, call me. And we had four people that called me. So in, in the last 12 months, we had four boomerang. And you know, nothing gets the organization more excited than someone who was awesome coming back. Like, like they, they saw what the grass is like on the other side, not, not so green, I'm, I'm coming back to Park Mobile. And so I think thinking about, you know, I know this is the great retention, but inevitably you're gonna lose some people. Thinking about what your strategy is for when people walk out the door, um, the good people walk out the door, and being very purposeful and thinking that maybe we can get them back in the next six or 12 months. Because if they do come back, it is a huge shot in the arm for the organization and something that will get everyone else excited. It also shows the people that are there, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't leave because Joy left and she came right back. So it's a scary world out there. So, so that, that's yeah. the kind of thing I think, I think, think about your, your uh, re-recruitment strategy, how you orchestrate it when people are out, how you get senior leadership involved in it. Cause it really is huge if you can get people that are great back into the organization. Yeah, that's a cool story. So before we uh, open it up to the audience, can we please give a round of applause for our, our speakers here tonight? Thank you. Thank you for sharing your insights. Really appreciate that.
So, okay, so Jeff, we'll open up to questions. Anyone, uh, just raise your hand, and I think we'll have a mic uh, going around, and we also um, can open it up for folks uh, online. Uh, we've got a question right here. Hi there, a great panel, wonderful, wonderful topics. Uh, thank you so much for your, uh, your words. Uh, I'm Tim Huff from uh, Turknet Leadership Group, and I love what you mentioned about leadership development, because that truly is my, my, my passion as a leader. I'm curious, for your leadership development programs that you have, how big of an impact is that truly having on retention and, and actually, more importantly, on recruitment? Are candidates actually excited about the things that you're doing with leadership development, and how big of an impact is that truly having? Yeah, I think that our leaders, we talk about it during the recruiting process. So if we're recruiting new managers, we talk about the program that they're going to go through. Um, I think the biggest impact is felt, though, when there's consistency across the organization. And we know that our managers on the engineering team um, are having this conversations the same way as our managers in sales or in finance or HR. Um, and that goes down to from everything from a one-on-one -on -one to how to have conflict. That's one of the, the biggest things that we focus on, whether it's conflict with somebody on your team that reports to you or your boss or a peer or someone in a different department. How do you work through that? And so being able to level set the organization and have everyone speak the same language of, hey, that's not how we do this. We do it this way has been really helpful. I feel like between my, my co-founders, Sawar and Prim, we're really good at having conflict. So we can share some learnings on that. Hey, good afternoon or almost evening. Thank you so much for the shout out, Donald. Um, I'm Gerald Hill. I'm the head of uh, Global uh, Talent Acquisition at Fiserv. Great, great panel, great discussion, great insight shared. Um, thinking about the, the notion of intentionality, right? You've got the proactive, we're going to plan and deliberately focus on this because we need something to change. Then you've got the reactive. There was an inflection point. Right, that occurred that says we have to do something different, right? And so thinking about this concept of culture and how you all have been really purposeful in driving that, I'm curious about that frontline kind of mid-level leadership level where change tends to be the toughest, right? Because they have you know, that individual contributor kind of focus in doing their job, but they're also responsible in leading others, right? And so just curious about what you all have um, done or seen um, that's led to, you know, successfully uh, enabling those individuals as culture carriers as much as your senior leadership. That's a great question. Um, I'll take a stab at it first. That I would say that so typically, we have three types of folks. We have experts, uh, which most people call frontline or individual contributors. We have management, and then we have executives. And you're spot on, Gerald. Like Management has the most difficult job, because what ends up happening is like if you look at their job through the lens of being strategic, tactical, and even technical in nature, they're often operationalizing a strategy that they did not necessarily influence or create. Um, one of the things that we've done is uh, I will give a shout out to Michelle Fox, who's the CPO at Life Labs also based here in the great city of Atlanta. Um, we, they have a phenomenal uh, new hire and middle manager curriculum. And every year, we like look at all of the things from a development perspective to see, like, what do we need to start, stop, continue? That is by far the most praised thing by any leader of people at Greenhouse. And so like 
I'm happy to connect anybody here with Michelle. She will prioritize you and give you greenhouse VIP treatment. Um, but they, I think that they cracked the code on how do you equip multiple leaders from different backgrounds who may not have the same default habits and behaviors and put them through the certain level of rigor to make sure that everybody comes out of this program, if you will, operating at a certain level where they can be more uh, conducive to change. So Life Labs, it's, uh, that's who I would encourage you to call. Michelle Fox, she's amazing. We, so we would try to, one, we, you have to do a lot of the foundational work around career pathing in different functions. Like it's really important. So you're clearly saying, okay, you go from your uh, marketing assistant, then you can go to a marketing manager, and then you can go here or here, you know, and being very clear with employees on what their potential path could be within the organization. And then the key is getting the, the leaders, the, the, the bosses, to have the ongoing check-ins with them on their career pathing and their goals. And also equipping them with the tools to have the tough conversations around, you know, maybe, maybe you're better as an individual contributor versus a manager. And you see this a lot, like I've managed a lot of salespeople in, in my career and every salesperson thinks they want to be a sales manager, sales director, chief revenue officer. Sometimes the worst sales managers are, are the best salespeople, right? Like the worst sales managers are the best salespeople. Um, and so you have to have leadership that's able to kind of say to, to a good sales, like, hey, if you want to be a sales manager, I'll support you. But understand these are the trade-offs. Like, like the best salespeople sometimes make a lot less money, uh, or the best sales managers sometimes make a lot less money than the best salespeople. So it's, it's equipping the team to have those career pathing discussions um, and making sure they understand, listen, not everyone could be, you know, it's a pyramid. Not everyone could be a director, VP. That doesn't mean you can have, can't have a great career here as an individual contributor. So I, I think that's the key is, one, showing what a career path looks like, and then two, making sure you're having those frequent discussions on how the career path is going. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, if someone really wants to be a manager but it's not in the cards, they're, they're probably better off leaving you know, the organization to find that opportunity elsewhere if you don't think they could do it in your company. That was a great panel, thank you. So Jeff said this, but I think this is sort of directed at all three of you, but you talked about how you, I think this is Jeff's words, baked the, your cult, your values into your hiring process. Can you go into that a little bit and explain how you guys did that? Because that's something I think would be really interesting to, to understand how you can sort of interview and pull that out of people during the interview process. Yeah, so when you go and evaluate a candidate, what well, one, the questions that we give the interviewees get to the core value. So it's important that if you're gonna interview a candidate, there are certain questions we would like you to ask that will get back to the core values. And then everyone's required, and I think this is all done in Greenhouse, um, everyone's required to do the kind of the post-interview evaluation. And so when we set up the post-interview evaluation, we, we specifically asked, did this person deliver on these core values, right? So, so it, it's totally baked into the interview process. It's also baked into the review process when you're re doing your end of year review for bonuses or, um, or merit increases. It's there too. What did you do to, to live up to these core values? Um, so so it's, it's totally embedded. We also, we had, um, we called it the core value awards every year. 
So we award people who embody the core values of each core value of the organization, and we recognize them in front of their peers. But when you do those kind of things, um, it's so funny, like, I feel like everyone in our organization, your organization sounds similar, they know the core values by heart. And that's really cool. Like, like when you could, on the spot, people will tell you each core value, and it becomes just part of the, the vernacular uh, of, of how you work, then, then you know you've kind of you've kind of done it right. Ours is baked in a little bit differently. So we have a separate interview in our process. Um, that is our core values interview. So each candidate, every level in the organization goes through a core, core values interview. Um, they meet with two people in the organization. They have to have been with sales off for six months. They get nominated to be a part of the core values interview team. And then they have a 30 minute interview. It is people from two different departments that the individual won't will not work in so that they're not also assessing them for technical skill set or do I want to work with this person? Then we also make sure that it's one male and one female just so that it's an inclusive um, process. So they go through that and they're all based on similar behavioral interview questions to assess, hey, is this person embody the values? And the, the second part of that that's so impactful is the message that it sends to the organization and to the candidates of how much we invest in the time to go through this process for, we hired 400 plus people this year and every single one of them had that extra step. So it's a huge investment, but it also continues to reinforce it for current employees and then the candidates as they go through the process. I mean, my response is rather easy. I would say uh, <laughs> ditto underscore retweet to everything they just said. Um, despite approaching it differently, essentially what they're telling you is that the values are baked into the hiring process. Right, and I always tell people, if you wanna know if your organization lives your values, just ask them what the values are. If they don't know your values, there's opportunities for improvement for your organization to live them out better. And the easiest way to make sure it's baked in is on the front end when people experience you through the hiring process. Um, for us at Greenhouse, we do actually map all of our questions to values. The reason why is like when you look at some of the candidate survey, people are actually asked some very illegal and atrocious questions during their interviews at some companies. And so our thought process is if we said our values are most important, shouldn't that what we be that should be what we're actually measuring. We shouldn't be measuring what school you went to or who do you know at the local country club or or social hour. Like that's not as important for us at Greenhouse. The other thing I think is rather beautiful is like everybody at uh, our company we all share one thing in common. We all went through that same process. So despite our backgrounds, we all had that same moment in the process where we were like, yeah, like I wanna be part of this organization. And I think it's actually true, a true testament to the values that we hope to live out. So we can bake it into your hiring process. I'll make sure I'll connect with you afterwards. That's Yeah, so our three uh, values, belonging, purpose, entrepreneurship. Um, and so we'll ask someone, like if you disagreed with someone, um, I'm sure you disagree with somebody in your, in your past, like if purpose is important to you and like meaningful connection is important to you, like tell me how did you live out purpose and still reach some level of conclusion in a, in a, in a relationship where you saw things differently? And you'll find out rather quickly how purposeful people are. Um, many of the folks that uh, we opt not to actually bring to greenhouses because when they respond to that question, they immediately go to defense mode. They don't live out a value of purpose. And what we have found is like, 
many of the people that do actually join, like they can articulate very clearly how, no, I'm still a purposeful person. Like I assume good intent and I try to help people understand a different perspective. So we like map it there. The other thing I would tell people is one of the most inclusive allyship um, uh, examples of living that value out is we all, and I'm curious to see if you both do this. We haven't baked in the software, but I'm curious, hate to put you on the spot. But like uh, we do roundups at the end of our interviews. And so there's plenty of people that have joined Greenhouse that um, they might not have got all yeses, but during the roundup is where we're actually calibrating on, well, why did you say, why do you think that that's actually a knock on their candidacy or what were you hoping to look for? Because when I hear that, this is what I hear. And that is the, my favorite part about the interview process is the roundup because you get to hear so many different perspectives that myself included, I have actually shifted my position on candidates who have gone on to do some of the most meaningful work at Greenhouse because of someone else helping me see something that might have been an obstructed view for me in their candidacy. So we do roundups. If you don't do roundups, I would encourage you to do so. But I don't know if you two do them at Sales Law or uh, Park we, Mobile, respectively. We don't do them the way you just described. Okay. All right, we got time for one more question here from the audience. Uh, hi, my name is Seth Freeman, and uh, it's good to be here. Great conversation tonight. I'll start by saying, Jeff and Donald, I love your hair. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> Secondly, um, I hate the notion or idea of quiet quitting, but I'm super interested in, as leaders, should we just expect that folks are just going to give the bare minimum in this generation, or should we push them for more, or... How are you guys dealing with that? Thank you very much. Oh, I love to take this one. <laughs> I don't know you, but I'm so though. glad you asked that question. Um, this idea of framing generations' habits against other generations is something that I find just utterly repulsive. Um, because each generation has their own sets of qualms. And it just so happens that we have technology where we can actually hear about some of the qualms of this generation. The second thing I would say is we shouldn't get mad at candidates or talent who do quiet quitting when we have quiet leadership. So like, if you're not going to be bold and intentional in the way that you advocate for others and the way you champion others, how dare you ask, not you specifically, uh, but like, how, how dare we it's like, get, give me the mic, give how, me the mic. How, how, I'm asking for a friend, by the way. Oh, I got you, I got you. <laughs> but, but honestly, though, how, how dare we get mad at folks that then quietly quit an organization who those, those organizations in many ways are like quietly leading. They are failing on these opportunities that they have to be intentional. And I don't think that that's generational. I think the difference is, you know, I tell my parents this all the time, like this new generations are their kids and their grandkids. And so what has happened is they've had a front row seat to seeing what happens to their parents and their aunts and their uncles when, when these companies have like legitimately failed them where they have been in suffocating environments. And so what they are saying is, no, I'm opting into something differently. Um, Park Mobile didn't tell me to say this, but I'll say it on behalf of Jeff. You should be very intentional about where you park your time, talent, and treasure. And I'm sorry, some companies are just not worthy of the time, talent, and treasure that I'm willing to offer based on the way their lack of leadership is showing up on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I think companies have to actually flip the conversation and be like Katie and be like Jeff, which is, despite us seeing the world slightly differently and operationalizing great leadership very differently in our organizations, what I love about both of these individuals is that they're very intentional and they're willing to do the work. 
A lot of leaders aren't willing to do the work, and thusly, their candidates or their people are willing to quit on them. And so it's on us. What should leaders be doing to champion an environment where quiet quitting is not even present? It's a different spin on the question, but I think what happens is like leaders have gotten comfortable with not being intentional. And so if you're not going to be intentional, don't get mad when someone wants to park their time, talent, and treasure at a different organization. Woo! Sorry. <laughs> Katie, Jeff, anything you want to add on <laughs> Oxygen in the room, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I, I kind of, I've, I've, I've been working at small companies, and at, you know, like, my last company was about 100 people, Park Mobile 225. It's really hard to quit, quiet quit in a company that's that small uh, because you're, you're super lean. And, and people who can't keep up just, you know, check out. So it's, it's the benefit of being at a small company is it's, it's really hard to quiet quit just because everyone will see it in full view. Um, but when I was at bigger companies, it, it's a significant issue. Um, and, you know, I think... I mean, there's tons of people, you know, you always see, oh, they're just, they're waiting for the pension, they're waiting for, and so how do organizations deal with it? I mean, I, th I think it's like, you gotta have very engaged managers who are on it. That, that's the only thing that's gonna stop it. Because if, if someone has quiet quit and their manager knows it and is letting it go on, that, that's kind of an indictment of the manager because that person just needs to be moved out. Um, and, and so I, um, I, I'm always a fan, like, like when we, you know, when we went through, um, through the COVID year, uh, we we looked across the entire organization because what you know when like our revenue went down ninety five percent overnight, we said, all right, who can we get rid of in the organization uh, because we have to save money? Like like are there people we can cut? And there were some low performers, but each leader kind of went down their org chart and said, I can't afford to lose this person. I can't afford to lose this person. I can't afford to lose this person. So we ended up not cutting anybody except the people that were already on performance improvement plans. So they were already being managed out of the organization. Um, but it made us realize like, oh, we have to do that exercise more often, even when we're not in COVID, right? And we have to go through our organization and make sure, um, is everyone pulling their weight? Is everyone kind of engaged? Is everyone there? Because if they're not, you start to have to make some tough decisions on, well, do we need that head? Maybe we don't need that head. Or um, maybe just we need that head, but we need a different person in that seat. The only thing I would add is I would ask your friend um, <laughs> why people are quiet quitting in their organization and kind of work back into what are you missing? So from a leadership standpoint or from just the way your organization is set up, um, thinking about employee engagement is great. I think we need to push past just engaging employees and make sure that they're fulfilled. And I think employee fulfillment comes through different things like connection. If you think back to the very classic like Gallup HR survey, the question that everyone makes fun of, do I have a best friend at work? It's really asking, do you have, are you connected to someone at work? And do you have relationships? So are they fulfilled? Do they have relationships at work? Do they feel like they have opportunities to grow? Does their manager believe in them? I think it's all of those things. And if one or multiple of those components are missing, then people are gonna either quiet quit or really quit. Um, and so I, I think asking and understanding why are they doing that is where you have to start. Okay, so we could keep going, um, but we do have a lot of wine and beer we need to drink because we don't want to take it out of here. So um, we've got about uh, 30 minutes or so. Uh, Jeff, Katie, and, and Donald, thank you.
Thank you for being willing just to share your insight, your experiences. It means so much. Um, and, and our hope, again, is that you're able to take some of these insights and, and apply it to your teams, right? Apply it to your organization. Um, we are going to put a code up on the screen here. Um, and uh, you actually, for, for anyone, uh, HR professional, you, you get Sherm credit uh, for uh, uh, being here tonight and um, using this code. Um, these wonderful leaders are going to hang out for a little bit afterwards. So if you have some questions, feel free to, to come up to them and uh, pick their brain a little bit more. And um, but yeah, you know, really appreciate you all coming and everyone online virtually uh, for uh, joining as well. And one more round of applause for our, our leaders today. That wraps up part two of the Great Retention's live event at the Atlanta Tech Village. Thank you for joining us and being a leader who genuinely cares about recognizing and empowering the everyday hero and the team members around you. We are proud to support your leadership journey and grateful for your support of this podcast. If you haven't already, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and share with a friend. This helps us get this content in front of more aspiring people-first business leaders. If you'd like more perspectives on how to create exceptional cultures around award-winning talent, go to coolleaf.com and sign up for our newsletter to get them straight to your inbox two times per month. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast or grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. Now go be people-first leaders by celebrating and connecting your people today. HR professionals, thanks for listening. As promised, this episode of the Cool Leave podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. To claim your SHRM credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM. To claim your HRCI credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI. Complete the three-question form to receive your certification code. That's coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM and coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI.